Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi again and welcome again to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today I'm at the Mines and Money Conference at the Business Design Centre in London, where I'm joined by John Wellborn, MD and CEO of Resolute Mining. Who are developing a gold mine? Uh, de- sorry, developing gold mines in Australia and Mali, and have a portfolio of gold development and exploration projects in other neighbouring countries in Africa. Listening to uh, John's presentation yesterday, I was very impressed with what they are achieving in Mali, Sonama, sorry, Sonama, where they're developing the first fully automated underground mining operation in the world, and I'm keen to hear more about this exciting development. So with no further ado, I'd like to welcome John Wellborn. Hi, John. Hi, Rob. Nice to be here on the podcast. Yeah, nice to, uh, for you to agree to do this. So before we just get straight into things, um, obviously around the project in Mali, I just want to first go back through your career, um, obviously from the days that you left university. Um, and obviously, I know you've been, you were a sportsman, obviously playing international rugby. So... Can I take you back to those days before we go into uh, talk about mining? Well, you can if you insist. As a former former Wallaby, and particularly this week after last weekend's game at Twickenham and the uh, triumphant English side led by former uh, Wallaby coach and Australian Eddie Jones beating the Australian national side in rugby, uh, it's not a great week to be a former Wallaby. No, certainly not. Yes, so I... uh, I uh, was distracted for a while uh, with a career as a professional sportsman playing rugby union, which took me uh, from a a boy who grew up in Perth in Western Australia and went to university at the University of WA. Uh, I spent almost 10 years in Sydney working as a chartered accountant in insolvency and playing amateur rugby and transitioned to professional rugby, which uh, was uh, initially in Australia. And then I spent five years in France playing for uh, Brive La Gaillarde in the yeah. southwest of France in a magical part of my life. Um, yeah. What was uh, the difference we, in rugby playing in Australia and playing in France? Well, I think the level of violence, if one <laughs> and the level of passion. You know, the, the, the rugby clubs of France, which are clustered around the southwest, yeah. are, you know, it's a modern-day reenactment of what's been going on for thousands of years there with the Mongols, the Saracens, the Vikings, the Germans, uh, and the various other invaders. So the, uh, when, you do, when you're when you playing for a local side like Breve against the visiting side, it is a, a modern-day reenactment of those medieval battles and something I worked out during the years, and certainly the scars I have from rugby Rugby, most of them come from. Uh, it those. must have been enjoyable, though. It was. It was. It was yeah. a magic part of my life, and and but it was also an important part of what I do now, in that I, I learned to speak French and I learned an appreciation of living in a different culture, and I think that both of those things uh, have been a huge advantage in working in francophone jurisdictions in Africa, yeah. uh, like Mali and the Republic of Congo, 
the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Senegal, uh, you know, Gabon, Burkina Faso, others like Thanks, that. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that's been fabulous. After rugby, I, I had a career as an investment banker, which was probably when I went to university and studied finance, yeah. it was an ambition. Uh, and was fortunate enough to work for Investec in Western Australia. Uh, who had acquired the Rothschilds banking business in Australia and inherited in that jurisdiction a, a very focused property and a mining finance team. Uh, and th- that was really my entry into the mining industry as a, as a debt financier. And I ended up running a specialised lending business for Investec in, a, in Western Australia in an economy driven by mining. Yeah. How was the market back then? And obviously for myself, being a professional uh, rugby player, coming into the finance industry. How, how did you find that? Look, I think the, the transition from professional sport uh, into any industry is really difficult. Yeah. You know, I went from uh, you know, a day at work where if you do something good, 40,000 people stand up and cheer uh, to you know, the, the slog of not working nine to five, but working from 7 a.m. till yeah. midnight uh, on transactions and or client-focused business. Uh, and that was you know, relatively tough, to be yeah. honest, um, and one that wasn't uh, uh, immediately uh, attractive. Yeah. Did you get more welcome because you were more well-known, would you say? Well, you've got to remember I'm somewhat unique as an Australian rugby player coming from Western Australia. I've often described it a little bit like being a windsurfer from the Kalahari in the <laughs> right, African yeah. context, uh, in that you know, rugby in Australia has traditionally been centred in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah. And in Perth, like in Melbourne, uh, we're really mad on Australian rules football. Yeah. Uh, and, and more, re- but it is a very isolated city on the west yeah. coast of Australia, and it is a meeting point and melting point you know, of lots of different nationalities. Yeah. Lots of New Zealanders came across in the building boom in the 1980s, uh, and in the mining boom. We've and and for other reasons, we've attracted lots of South Africans as well as a, a diaspora in in all of Australia as a relatively young country, uh, and so that lends itself to a rugby population yeah. in Western Australia, uh, and so there is some degree of support, uh, and certainly having a a profile in rugby helped in banking. Yeah, and what other skills would you say you've learned being a sportsman that you brought into the industry? Uh, well, the benefit of focus. I, I do think that the passion, I loved rugby, but not yeah. just the physical element of it. I, mean, I was a kid who enjoyed running into people and so gravitated <laughs> yeah. away from sports like cricket and Aussie rules football and rowing and swimming into rugby because I just liked the rough and tumble of it. Uh, not yeah. necessarily in an aggressive way, I just liked the, the, that, that nature of the sport. But more as, a, as an adult, I was attracted to the tactical nature of rugby. And it is a very interesting sport because it brings together uh, a number of different disciplines, most obviously the forwards and the backs. But each position in the 15-man rugby side does a very specific task, and they're yeah. very different. It was designed in a school where the small, fast, darty, uh, lippy kid can play halfback, and the, the, the fast guys can play on the wing, and the roly-poly blokes can play prop, and every single role is very important. Yeah. So, so the obvious analogy between that and, and what I do now in running a mining company is that we bring together a whole lot of different disciplines in a yeah. mining company exploration geologists are very different between mining engineers who are obviously very different between the finance professionals and the investment relations so you know a company like resolute 
has a whole range of different disciplines and, and they're all structured in very different ways. And a successful company will be able to bring those together in one cohesive team aligned under an, an, a, a clear strategy. And so that's it's basically like a captain yeah. bringing everyone together. All the, all the coach. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what a successful rugby team needs to do. And certainly it's what we're trying to do at Resolute. Yeah. So when you left the, the finance industry, did you move straight into mining? Yes, I, I, it wasn't a chosen move. Uh, Investec actually made a decision to pull out of the Australian market or the West Australian market. And yeah. so I was really enjoying my role. And we, in the areas I were working, we were quite successful. Uh, and then at the height of what in Australia we call the global financial crisis or yeah. the GFC. So in, in December of 2008, uh, I was I'll suddenly... Over there, actually. Yeah, I was, you know, and, and people forget. I mean, I, I joke that people in London were thinking about, you know, planting a vegetable patch in the back of their gardens because we're moving to a barter economy. Uh, certainly in, in Australia and in the mining finance business, that was uh, tough times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the property business particularly, which was another arm of our investment banking model. Uh, and so in December, in the, in the eve of Christmas, I found myself out on the street and sort of replicating what had happened a few years before when I transitioned from rugby to something else. Uh, and I uh, was initially focused on continuing a career in banking. And I got offered an opportunity which I found bizarre and thought was something that I wasn't interested in, which was a, a very small zinc, lead, silver development company. And a shareholder approached me saying, you know, would you take on a leadership role in the company? Actually, the CEO. And I thought he was obviously lost his marbles. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, what would I know about running a, a mining company? I'm an yeah. accountant and a banker. Uh, but out of uh, respect to this particular individual, I took a meeting with the chairman and I'm not sure how the interview went from his point of view, but in the, in the, literally in the first question, which was, well, John, why do you think you're the guy to run this company? And the, you know, the short answer was, well, I didn't, but I answered the question <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I convinced myself that actually there was a real opportunity here and actually my, you know, my initial training as an insolvency practitioner uh, and the more recent knowledge I'd learned out of banking and particularly mining finance lent itself to what needed to be done in this particular circumstance with this particular company. The zinc price had dropped from $4,000 a tonne to less than 2000 and it was literally an insolvency assignment about preserving shareholder value and repositioning the company. Uh, and, you know, from a timing sense, that was, uh, you know, an interesting time. It was the right pathway. We successfully... Um, repositioned the company, we joint ventured the existing asset. It led me to look for new assets and through connections that I'd established when I was at Investec, uh, we ended up acquiring a portfolio in Mali and spun that out into a, another company called Colonial, renamed Papillon. That was a very successful gold discovery, which yeah. is now the Focola mine owned by B2 Gold. And so uh, th that, that success led me to work uh, for Ian Middlemas in a range of companies, including Prairie Mining, uh, you know, the, the, the formation of Papillon, and uh, ultimately Equatorial Resources, yep. uh, which was focused on iron ore projects in the Congo. Uh, and the connection there to the yep. next step was that Equatorial and all of Ian Middlemas's companies uh, headquartered in Perth in Western Australia in the BGC building, yep. which is in the CBD. Yep. And coincidentally, that building had been the headquarters for 25 years for Resolute Mining Limited. Yeah. And Resolute was a, a gold mining company that had been in existence when I was in university. Uh, so, you know, for 25 years, had, had it been one of the leading gold producers 
on the Australian Stock Exchange had started its life as a company that was a ballsy Western Australian exploration company uh, and developer of gold mines in WA, uh, a pioneer of Australian companies moving into Africa. In, you know, the year that I played my first test for the Wallabies in 1996, Resolute went into Ghana and built okay. the Obertan gold mine. Yeah. And a few years later, built the, the uh, Golden Pride mine in Tanzania, a very successful development. And so in, as uh, the iron ore space and the iron ore price dropped and what had been a very ambitious and exciting pathway with Equatorial became more of, a, again, an insolvency assignment of preserving shareholder value as the commodity price collapsed, uh, I started to take notice of Resolute you know, as I was getting in and out of the lift every day. Yeah. And the lift would stop on level four. Uh, and that was about five or six years ago. And so... Uh, so that was always, always there in the back of your mind. Well, no, it started to become a real. I, I just, yeah. I, I looked at the the asset base of the company and mm. its positioning, uh, and some of the opportunities around it, and you know, I suppose more thinking about as it's almost like an investment banker mindset. Thought this company, in particular, the Siama Gold Mine, has real potential, mm. and uh, took me a couple of years to to secure a role with the company, and I was fortunate to join. Uh, as a non-executive director in March of 2015 and then I took over as CEO on the 1st of July 2015 so it's three and a half years later yeah and that's a quick version of the story yeah so obviously let's go let's start talking about Resolute Mining and obviously the things that you're you're doing with the company if you can uh, take us back from when you did start what your first assignment was and how you've uh, sort of progressed as a company sure so the, the portfolio I inherited consisted of the Siama gold mine in the south of Mali, yeah. the Bibiani gold mine in Ghana, which was on care and maintenance, and the Ravenswood gold mine in Queensland. And so three and a half years later, our portfolio consists of the Siama gold mine in Mali, the yeah. Bibiani gold mine, which is on care and maintenance in, in Ghana, and the Ravenswood mine in North Queensland. Uh, however, so although the asset base stayed the same, uh, I would say the team at Resolute has achieved a wonderful repositioning and transformation of the company in that period of time. Uh, Ravenswood was shutting and we were completing an underground mine there and, and really looking at a rehabilitation program. There was no clear plan for Bibiani and Siama uh, was still open pit mining. Yeah. Uh, so now we're at the dawn of a new era of Siama. We're about to commission, as you described, yeah. the world's first fully autonomous underground mine. We've spent a lot of time and energy upgrading this processing infrastructure. And we're confident that's going to have high recoveries. We've also announced a new solar hybrid power station, which is going to drive that mine. 14 year mine life, life of mine costs below 750 US dollars an ounce. It's a mine that will produce 300,000 ounces a year. So as always intended, that is the anchor of our future growth. Yeah. It's a wonderful asset and that future is now in front of us. We've invested in that mine, we're about to build it. Bibiani, we've done two drilling campaigns and are very confident that we can recommission that mine. And that's something we'll look to start during 2019. Mm. And then Ravenswood, we've also defined a long life future for that mine, 14 years. It's now fully permitted going back to an open pit environment. So we, we now have three mines that have a 10 year mine life in front of them. It provides us an organic pathway to 500,000 ounces a year of gold production 
at an all-in sustaining cost, which is going to be in the region of 750 US dollars an ounce, presuming we successfully execute all of our organic plans. We're well supported with funding packages to do that. Uh, and that's been the journey. And now we're into yeah. a new phase as we uh, start the Siama Underground Mine. Yeah. What, what made you decide to go fully automated? Um, and obviously, obviously it's, a bit, it's going to be the first, first fully automated mine in the world. What made you, what process did you go through and what made you make that, that leap of faith forward and that first step? study and uh, ambition and the desire to actually make sure that we were building the best mine possible. And it is challenging in an industry where investors are very reluctant to be at the bleeding edge of technology. Mining is a high-risk business. And so quite appropriately, investors and operators look for low-risk solutions. And invariably, that lends itself towards continuing to do the processes that you've done in the past. And the challenge with Resolute is to recognise that we've explored, discovered, built, acquired, owned, operated and closed nine gold mines and produced eight million ounces of gold. So hopefully we've learned something about how to do that, underground and open pit. And therefore there's a temptation to say that we should use that experience and continue to do what we've done in Mm. the past and, and refine it rather than big step changes. And the, the first feasibility study we published uh, on the Siama underground mine was a conventional uh, sublevel cave, very similar to the sublevel cave that we currently run at Mount Wright in Queensland. A slightly larger scale, twin decline, manually operated mine. Uh, and that mine had a 12-year mine life with an expected all-in sustaining cost across that life of mine of 881 US dollars an ounce. And that's the mine we started to build in 2016. We also identified as part of uh, defining that study and that future opportunities to further enhance the value of the mine. And one of those was automation of the mining process. The second one was to continue to improve our processing infrastructure. And the third one was our power plant. Uh, and, And the last element of that is also the ongoing upside of exploration. And so the two-year journey between publishing that feasibility study in June of 2016 and the mine that we're building based on the updated definitive feasibility study we published in July of this year, 2018, has been all four of those factors. Positive exploration, drill rigs have added a million ounces to our reserve, increasing our mine life out to 2032. Uh, the processing infrastructure has been upgraded, an investment of more than 30 million US dollars, and we're confident we're going to get more than 85% recoveries from the ore that we mine underground. And the automation uh, and, and power have now been illustrated and are, in, uh, are now programmed to be implemented into that mine, and that's resulted in an all-in sustaining cost of 746 US dollars an ounce, so a big reduction. Yeah. Automation, is, along with power, is a key part of that. Now, your question is, so how, you know, obviously, what made you the faith to actually yeah. jump in? And, you know, the answer is, one, the study program, looking at what was possible. Two is then sending the technical team and, in many cases, myself, to two of the mines around the world that are actually retrofitting automation. Uh, and we visited a lot of mines in Australia, in, in South Africa, uh, and in Europe, and looked at you know, not just Sandvik, who are our chosen uh, partner and provider of the automated equipment and software, 
but also others, including Atlas Copco. And, and my own journey was even to look at other uh, commodity miners, such as Fortescue and BHP and Rio Tinto, and what they were doing in the automation of their iron ore mines, and actually ask exactly the same question you just asked me, which is to say to the, the people who are responsible, so what's made, how have you got comfortable that this is the right investment to make and, and the risk elements are appropriately managed and what benefit do you see? Uh, and so even though, obviously... We're billing Siama as the first fully autonomous underground mine in the world, which sounds very grand. The reality is, is that we have the advantage of going to see every single piece of equipment that we're applying at Siama operational in underground mines in practice. And we were able to talk not just to the equipment providers, but to the owners of those mines and ask them about their experience of of automation in a retrofitted environment and ask them about what cost savings we were seeing. And... We were able to incorporate those into our feasibility studies and demonstrate, based on what we could see in the industry, what sort of cost saving we would get. Now, I'm entirely confident that we'll actually get a greatest cost saving because of the advantages of actually designing the mine for automation, as opposed to the challenge of actually retrofitting automated equipment into a mine that was designed for another, another style of operation. Uh, But the ultimate faith that I as the CEO have had to have and the board have backed in making a decision to automate uh, was obviously built on that technical assessment, what we were seeing in the industry and modelling that and having confidence we were going to save money. But it's also true that everyone I've spoken to from FMG onwards in automation has also had to make a leap of faith yeah. in, in, because not, we haven't done it just for the cost savings we see. We've also done it because we believe that that's where the industry is heading and there will be further incremental gains to be made yeah. if you're on the right track. And yeah. personally, I'm convinced that underground mining is going automated and ultimately it's going electric. And once you see the industry through that lens, you also note that instead of thinking that automation is going to reduce jobs and opportunities in the mining industry, I'm absolutely convinced that automation, particularly of underground mines, is going to increase opportunity and ultimately employment in the industry because it'll lead to better investment outcomes, access to ore bodies that are currently uneconomic and ultimately longer life for both existing mines and new mines. Yeah. And certainly that's what we're seeing at Siama. Yeah. And obviously uh, on your presentation yesterday, you did say that obviously the mine is going to become fully automated, but you're not actually taking away any people's jobs because it is a new mine. So there isn't any people there to replace to replace people. So um, I suppose that's another thing, a question that may people may ask that you're taking away people's jobs, but at the end of the day, it's a brand new mine going to be fully automated so there isn't actually anyone there to take no no one at Siam is being tapped yeah. on the shoulder and replaced by a, a robot yeah. or an automatic machine uh, but also you know bulk mining underground doesn't employ many people and it's yeah. also the employment underground is not a job that anyone really seeks or enjoys and clearly one of the big benefits we haven't spoken a lot about is safety yeah you know, the more you can take people away from dangerous Especially environments underground mining. absolutely the better the Siama gold mine employs 1,500 people. It's a very large workforce yeah. across our security, catering, uh, exploration teams, the processing teams, mm-hmm. uh, housekeeping, mining, uh, and all of the elements of our operations. Even if the mine underground was fully 
uh, manual, you're probably talking of a workforce between 30 or 40 people who are actually yeah. working underground. Yeah. And by fully automating the mine, we probably reduce that by 50%. Yeah. So we still need manual maintenance crews, and we still have obviously geological underground assessment, and we still need a manual charge crew. Yeah. So the ultimated mine is having automated long hole drilling, automated loading, and automated haulage. It's the savings that we're talking about are not a reduction in labour cost. We're not really making huge gains by taking salaries out of our model, which is obviously the case when you think about uh, a, a factory full of sewing machine operators and you replace them with a robot. Yeah, yeah. The saving is really, the, the uh, in some cases, the labour cost. Uh, the saving for us is really productivity. Yeah. It's the ability for the mine not to have downtime. Automatic haul trucks don't have to stop to go to the toilet. They don't make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. They know where each other are. They accelerate and decelerate according to efficiency, not yeah. according to whim. Uh, they don't have crew changeovers. You can also keep parts of the mine operating while you're blasting in other parts of the mine. Yeah. So the, the, the advantages are immense. Yeah. And, and I mean, I saw the pre your presentation yesterday and you've got a video actually showing the whole whole process and uh yeah it's certainly uh you will i think production will increase and like you said there won't be no downtime how's the wide industry taken to it i think there's a huge excitement yeah. and i'm not sure if you noticed in the presentation but i uh, picked out a few of my colleagues yeah, uh, yes, in, in yeah. the gold mining industry some of whom are either currently operating underground mines or thinking about it uh, and and uh, I, I doubt they're in the exhibition hall, just happened to be walking past while I was presenting. Yeah. So there are a lot of people who are, who are watching what we're doing. I, I think uh, increasingly we're going to see automation come into underground mines. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately that hasn't yet uh, translated into our share price and into investor appetite. Uh, but as I said in my presentation, I'm convinced that our success in the commissioning and ramp up of Siama, which happens between now, December 2018, all the way through to June of 2019. And the results of that, which are really easy to see, throughput and recovery, leading to gold production and ultimately cash flow for Resolute, uh, will be very rewarding for Resolute shareholders. Yeah. Would you, what advice would you give anyone or a company looking and have, uh, are looking to maybe automate their mine and the processes that you've gone through. Is there anything, any advice that you can give? I, I think it's make sure in in the partnership. I think the yeah. advice would also to be, you know, and this is something that I, I learned in insolvency and working in lots of different industries, is understand your business. So ultimately mining and mining companies are often actually subcontracting businesses. Yeah. You know, and, and every mining company has the internal debate of whether they should be owner-operator or whether they should be a contractor. Mm. Uh, and often in a contract mining model, you're, you're buying equipment, you're owning equipment, and then you're engaging a contractor to run that equipment for you under a risk-sharing arrangement, which is a little bit like you know, if you were lucky enough to have a chauffeur, you, you might buy a car and own it in your fleet of cars and then you'd either employ a company or, a, or an individual to be your chauffeur. Yeah. Now, once a car manufacturer can provide you with a fully autonomous car, well, the first thing is you do away with the need for a chauffeur, obviously. But the second thing is the relationship between you and the car manufacturer changes because it's not just the acquisition of a piece of equipment that you're paying a price for. It's the acquisition of that piece of equipment and the operation of that equipment. So yeah. something that we realised very early was that 
what looked to be and had traditionally been an equipment provider relationship with Sandvik was actually morphing into elements of a mining contract relationship. And that's why uh, at the start of this journey, we signed a framework agreement with Sandvik, which we structured uh, around recognising that there is a a hybrid model really between Sandvik as an equipment provider and once they're actually selling us the software that runs that equipment, they become part of a contractor. And so we have a 15% payment on site acceptance where the machinery has to arrive and perform uh, as we expect and it to. And they're managing it. And, and, and they're also, it. yes, so we're signing yeah. a separate maintenance agreement with Sandvik and it very much is a partnership. So mm. my advice to people looking at automation in any industry, but particularly in the mining industry, is look to who is actually, what is the nature of each role that you're providing? Yeah. Because when you buy a piece of equipment, if it's automated, there's also an operational element. It's not just the acquisition of, of the item. Uh, and, and in Sandvik's case, we've partnered with someone who is the only uh, provider of equipment in the industry currently who can provide the full suite of automated equipment across the whole value chain of our yeah. mine and operate that under one software package. Yeah. And that's been quite important for us. Now, the other element coming from a different angle is make sure your investors uh, are comfortable and aware board, yeah. and fully on board. And that's something that we're going to have to do by, by successfully implementing this technology. Yeah. Uh, and, and also... Uh, recognize the changing skill sets required in your company. So uh, yesterday at the conference, um, we had Tal Zaman here from uh, Sandvik, who's actually yeah. the head of automation. Uh, but we've also, within our company, recruited Dr. Joe Cronin, who's our head of innovation at Resolute, interacting uh, with Sandvik and their team. Uh, and you know, Joe actually started his life as a bomb disposal expert for the US military and, and is a globally leading uh, mining automation expert. So the, the key with, with any project, but particularly automation, is make sure you have the right people in your company and recognise where you're changing your operation. Yeah. Right down to, for example, the you know we, it was interesting going to North Parks and the the transition they'd gone from uh, in, as they retrofitted automation from taking the drivers of haul trucks, for example, and putting them in the remote uh, uh, control centre, uh, and recognising the skill sets are very different between yeah. the you know big burly truck driver and the nimble thumb operating re- that, yeah. remote control. So all of those sort of things are. Uh, be, be real, think really carefully about what roles are going to change within the company yeah. uh, and make sure you've got the right people to implement. Yeah. So what's the, the future for yourself, Resolute Mining, um, and what do you want to achieve, I suppose, over the, the next five or ten years as, as an organisation? I've, I've always said, and you know, from five years ago before I joined Resolute, that Siama has the potential to be a fantastic base for an African-focused, multi-mine, low-cost gold miner. Uh, And we're on that pathway. So, you know, the success at Siama will provide us with the capacity and I believe the mandate to uh, spread our wings. Uh, If you look at the history of Resolute, we've been a very successful mine builder. And the story I've described over the last three years has been one of refurbishment and transformation. To me, the next stage is actually going back to what we have been most successful at and where all mining companies, in my view, actually make the most value for their shareholders is acquiring or discovering ounces in the ground at a fraction of their cost, uh, sorry, their value, yep. 
uh, and then monetizing them. I, I think what mm. the gold mining industry does, following on my theme of understand what business you're in, yeah. is a magic act. We're modern day alchemists. We take dirt in the middle of Africa and we turn it into bullion. It, yeah, it yeah. is magic. And that's what I'd love to do. So I, you know, what does the next three to five years look like for Resolute? We are on a pathway to build high-value gold mines in Africa. So we're looking around for the right positions on the ground with ounces underneath us, uh, and we'd like to build and operate mills that monetize those ounces in a really efficient way. Siama is going to do that over the next 14 years and more. We believe Bibiani is a good opportunity, uh, and then we're looking for others. Yeah. And ultimately, in the next three to five years, uh, uh, unashamedly following the successful legacy left by companies like Rangold and more recently Endeavour, yeah. uh, we would like to establish a portfolio of mines and operate uh, those mines in a way that's very value creative for our shareholders. Yeah, and you, are you just primarily focusing on Africa? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we've obviously transitioned as an Australian mining company. Uh, I'm convinced that there's a number of, uh, of things coming together for the African mining industry. And I think the, the recent merger between Rangold and Barrick yeah. uh, and a bit of an about face by Barrick to really stamp Africa as a place to be for tier one gold mining assets, yeah. I think is consistent with that idea. And it is a congruence of geological prospectivity. Hmm. There's a lot of gold in the ground uh, and there's still lots more exploration potential. Governments that are increasingly proactive in seeking external investment and are in many cases willing to partner on the development of gold mines in Africa. Uh, and an important legacy that Resolute has, and I think we with other companies, uh, about not just positive investment return, but positive community uh, and fiscal legacies in where we operate. Yeah. I want to slowly wrap this up. So for the last five minutes or so, just want to uh, give you a quick few fire questions to answer. Um, why do you enjoy mining? Why do I enjoy mining? Yeah. Um, I think because I what earlier, the, the congruence of lots of different things. So the, the excitement of exploration, men before the mast, looking for something that hasn't been found. Now, the challenge of a very competitive industry where there's a scoreboard in gold miners, whether it's all in sustaining cost or production, um, cash flow and all those sort of things. And the complexity of the task involved. Mm. You know, it's a high risk industry yeah. um, and one that's much underrated. Uh, so, yes, I think it's a challenging industry. I like a challenge. It's a robust, high risk, uh, and ultimately very rewarding yeah. pastime, if yeah. that's what you want to call yeah. it. <laughs> um, who's been the most influential person on you in the mining career? And I, and I suppose also, apart from the mining career, maybe in your early days as well, is there any influential people that you... Look, at every stage of, of, of what I've done, whether it's in sport or business, uh, I've always sought out uh, and tried to learn from people. They're not always in a, in a uh, friendly and cohesive <laughs> yeah. manner. Uh, certainly my relationship with coaches and particularly referees as a rugby yeah. player was very combative. In the mining industry, I learned an enormous amount working for Ian Middlemas as my yeah. chairman at, at Equatorial. And, and Ian is a, you know, one of the most successful uh, Australian entrepreneurs in the junior mining space. 
Uh, more recently, although I don't have a close relationship, I've been you know a great follower of Mark Bristow yeah. and you, you don't have to be that close to Mark because he's so good at telling everyone uh, the Rand Gold story and how he thinks gold mines should be won. Uh, I find it interesting that so few people have listened. Uh, so I think he, and quite rightfully so, yeah. is a hugely influential figure in mining. Mm. Uh, so yes, in specifically to what we're trying to do at Resolute, uh, those two individuals. And the, the, the third one, uh, particularly early in my mining career, would be uh, Andrew Forrest, yeah. who has been a, a friend of mine going back to university days uh, and watching his achievements at Fortescue and just what's possible in bringing together skilled people underneath a clear ambition and a defined strategy is something that's very inspirational. Yeah. Is there still anything you want to achieve in the mining oh, industry? Oh, I haven't. I don't yeah. feel I've even started. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, we, and we are really at yeah. the start. I mean, it's taken three years to get us to the point where we're just ready to start the new Seamer underground mine. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I, I don't still feel we, we haven't even got started yet. Not I mean, much. look, you know, I said I'm a big fan of Bristow. I mean, the reality is, uh, I spoke earlier about Resolute going into Ghana in 1996. Well, Mark might say there was, that was about the time they started Rangold. So yeah. let's look, you know, 20, 20 or odd years down the track, he's running the largest gold mine in the world, yeah. you know, 50 times the size of Resolute, uh, and we're still struggling with the asset that he threw away to us uh, 15 years ago. So, yes, we, you know, I, there's lots and lots. I, I would love in the next five years to build a couple of great gold mines in Africa. Yeah. We'd love to find partners to work with on that. I think there's wonderful ongoing new opportunities to bring technology into mining, not just automation. Uh, I, I uh, am as excited as I have ever been about the future. So I think there's a lot more in front of us at Resolute and me uh, than there is behind us. Yeah, uh, that goes on to the next question. Where do you see the future of mining? I think increasingly bringing yeah. technology, I do think that success uh, from the industry and the MET sector will lead to greater investor appetite for, for what I would call modern gold mining. Uh, I think there'll be new ways of prospecting and, and uh, adaptive technology. Uh, I think artificial intelligence coming into the mining space will be incredibly important and very interesting and ultimately very disruptive. Yeah. Um, and lastly, any advice you give any mining professionals in the industry to sort of better and develop themselves? Look for great companies that are doing great things and try to avoid uh, the consistent status quo because one of the great challenges of the mining industry uh, is to recognise that it is completely unsustainable. Yeah. And mining companies these days talk about sustainability without irony. And yeah. I always smile. And if you catch me talking about it, remind me. <laughs> because what we do is discover finite ore bodies and then deplete them as quickly as we can. Yeah. And so, you know, Resolute, we're focused on long-life mines. It does allow us a couple of advantages. One, to look to apply technology because we've got enough runway in front of us and also to be focused on not just immediate financial returns but other long-term benefits including to the stakeholders of the mine, the communities we operate. Yeah. So yes, I think that would be the, the one thing I'd say to people in the mining industry is don't ever kid yourself that you're in a sustainable business. Yeah. Therefore, we're all in the business of managing change. Yeah, yeah. Well, appreciate your time, John, for, for doing, taking the time to discuss this, uh, uh, your journey and giving the insight to Resolute um, and obviously the exciting things you're doing in Mali. Um, if our audience wants to contact you, how can they go about doing that? Easiest way is through our website, yep. uh, Resolute 
Mining Limited or uh, www.resolute.com.au. Are you on any social media platforms at all? We've got LinkedIn. Yeah. So that's the easiest way to contact me personally. No worries. Alternatively, you can contact myself via email, which is rob at mining-international.org. If you want to have any questions that you want me to pass on to John, be more than happy to do so. So um, thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.